protect this land for the future. We're hand in hand. Warning. The following program may contain traces of irony, sarcasm, satire, parody, mockery, banter, caricature, and nuts. The opinions expressed are almost certainly not shared by self-appointed officials, dictatorial wowsers. If you are dangerously irony deficient or allergic to mockery of the self-important and corrupt, then get a life. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's time for another episode of the Environmental as Anything podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Sean O'Shaughnessy. Next up on uh, the show, as I promised you, we're trying to, uh, hard to bring a, a factual and, uh, and, and progressive ideas of, uh, of economic management uh, to, to light. Uh, I'm constantly frustrated by the, uh, the levels of, of ignorance in the general commentariat around uh, how uh, modern monetary systems actually work. So I've, uh, I've reached out to uh, Professor Stephen Hale. Uh, professor uh, Hale is uh, adjunct associate professor at Torrens University in Australia. Uh, he is and is a scholar at the Global Institute for Sustainable Prosperity, uh, with a PhD from Flinders University, and uh, and a master's in science from the uh, London School of Economics. And he was from 2002 until December 2020 a lecturer in the School of Economics at the University of Adelaide. During the 1990s, he lived and worked in London, published a number of economics textbooks and was involved in the provision of financial training to staff from all the major UK banks and many international banks and the Bank of England. He gradually developed an awareness of the dangerous flaws in orthodox neoclassical economics, which led eventually to the study of post-Keynesian economics in general and modern monetary theory in particular. His book, Economics for Sustainable Prosperity, was published by Paul Grave Macmillan in 2018. And I'd look, look forward to getting a copy of that so that I can, uh, I can review it for you. But uh, well, I've got Stephen on the line because we've got, uh, we're in the midst of this interminable uh, election campaign. And I was hoping that uh, Stephen and I might be able to talk through some of the mythologies which are constantly trotted out to do with the economy. Thank you, Stephen, for joining Environmental as Anything today. No worries, Shane. Nice to speak to you. I don't know if you have these moments. I get moments where I just end up shouting at the radio and wanting to throw things at the television because people make such basic errors of understanding how the economy works. There seems to be our politicians want to pretend that they're fish and chip shop owners uh, and that, the, uh, and that the, the economy or the Australian government is just their fish and chip shop to, 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 to balance the budget in. How, how do you respond to that kind of uh, stuff when you see it on the, in the media? It's true that um, it, it's still the case, and it has been for years, that in, in this election campaign, both sides of politics, to a greater or, or lesser extent, are uh, failing to describe our modern monetary system as it actually works. Um, but uh, I, on the other hand, there's uh, people like yourself and thousands of people around Australia who now have a, a good grasp of things. I can remember when there were uh, probably the number of people in this country that were um, talking about the fact that it's important to um, understand how the system works was all enough that you could probably fit us in a, in a minibus. That's <laughs> only about 10 years ago. So things are changing. There are people in all the political parties uh, that are, are getting a better understanding. I am, like yourself, a progressive and uh, an environmentalist, but there is nothing particularly progressive or environmental about modern monetary theory. It's simply a description of how a modern monetary system actually functions. Yeah. 
and that's that's right. It's uh, it's 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 quite uh, neutral in terms of its politics, but the uh, the implications, the, the the freeing. It seems to me that the freeing effects of being able to grasp these this nettle are are, are well worth the uh, the, the potential uh, difficulty politically that uh, seems to be built into it. But um, you, you've written the, I've, I've got the, your piece from the conversation here, and it's saying they're talking about this budget. And the, amid the talk of deficits, consider the lessons we ought to have learned. Can you give me a, a quick summary of what those lessons might be? Well, I, I just pointed out that for years, and I think I only went back to uh, Julia Gillard, but I could have gone back a lot further than that. I didn't want to pick on her. I think she's the best of our recent prime minister. Yeah. Um, but uh, she was talking in whenever it was, 2011 about how important it was for the government to uh, pay down its debt and run a budget surplus. And uh, at the time, uh, unemployment was higher than it is now. Uh, uh, the number of underemployed people was higher than it is now. Uh, inflation was below the Reserve Bank's target at the time. And um, there was no reason for her to say that at all. Uh, and it, it, in a way, it was tragic because she was promising that the following year the government would be running a, a, what would have been an ill-advised and certainly was an unnecessary uh, a budget surplus. And I, I didn't just think that was ill-advised. I thought that given the state of the economy then, it, it was technically impossible. Yeah. Um, and she failed to do so. Uh, but ever since then, and uh, all the other prime ministers we've had, Kevin Rudd coming back and then Tony Upper and Malcolm Turnbull and now Scott Morrison, We've basically had a decade of unnecessary austerity, unnecessarily high levels of unemployment, and sometimes the excuse given that the federal government can't afford to invest more in the development of renewables and, uh, and, and uh, 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 restoring our environment, uh, um, uh, uh, defending our environment, um, because they're going to lack out, run out of dollars, or because uh, 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 that it, that for some reason there was going to be a debt and deficit crisis. That has never been true. It's always been untrue. Mm. Uh, and we have had mass unemployment, austerity, and a failure to make important investments in, in the public sector in terms of green infrastructure and elsewhere for years and years and years unnecessarily because mm. of the misrepresentation of our monetary system. Yeah, I mean, I, I often say that uh, you know, like the, 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 in the medieval uh, economy, there was a big pile of gold that the king sat on and had to, you know, every time he had to spend any of it, he'd have to go and steal some more from somebody to to, to make sure his pile didn't shrink. And then we've got a lot of people these days who seem to seem to think we still live in that medieval world, but it's 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 not the case, is it? We we, we actually, as you say, there is not really a a, a, a structural limitation on how much money the government can spend. The limitation is, uh, limitations are about the, uh, the, the quality of that spending, aren't they? Yeah, well, let's just, uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do this here, but actually what you just described wasn't even exactly true in the medieval times. Yeah, but, right. Um, uh, what's wrong with the narrative that we are surrounded with at the moment is that there is a general misunderstanding of something which is really important which is the distinction between a currency user and a currency issuer. Yeah. You and I and businesses and not-for-profits and even state governments are currency users. We have to get dollars before we can spend them. We have to either earn them or run down our savings or borrow them. 
if we borrow them, we can get into difficulties, that we can become insolvent, we can end up going bankrupt. Um, that, that's true of us, but it's not true of the federal government. The federal government cannot ever, under any circumstances, the way our monetary system is currently organized, um, go bust. They can't run out of dollars. Um, that has been the case really since the early 1980s when we floated free of the US dollar when our government no longer had a commitment to exchange our currency or any foreign currency or any commodity or anything that they could possibly run out of. And since the early 2000s, the Commonwealth government's had no significant foreign currency debt either. So it is literally the case that our government cannot run out of dollars. They can run out of things to buy with dollars, of course, but they can't run out of dollars. Um, There will never be a crisis with financing Australian Commonwealth government spending while we have the current monetary system at any time during the lifetime of any anybody listening um, to this show. All they have to do in order to finance Commonwealth spending is to pass appropriation bills through Parliament. That's it. Yep. Uh, our system is a little bit complicated and opaque, but it's basically set up to ensure that any spending which is authorised by Parliament actually happens. Yes. Now, it's very important not to get me wrong when I talk about that. Of course, we have real limitations on what it is possible for everybody, including the private sector, to spend in Australia without inflation taking off. We've got a limited supply of skilled labour and capital equipment, technology, uh, infrastructure, institutional uh, capacity and natural resources. And we've got the most important real limit of all, which we're not addressing remotely at the moment, which is uh, our long-run ecological constraint. We have to live within that. We need to make the investments now to ensure we do live within that uh, in the future. But a failure to understand the monetary system and the freedom of action that the Commonwealth government has is something which has for years now held that back. So it's, it's, it's one of my other, you know, rule of thumbs summaries that I give people when I'm saying this, and it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I often say that if, as long as the government spends its money in ways that aren't inflationary, and, and, I, and I usually put in brackets, that is to say, as long as they give money to poor people, uh, they're, they're effectively, they can't, it, it, we won't have that terrible spectre of hyperinflation that people always bring up when we talk about this idea of issuing currency, people say, that use the term to print money, and then they say, Weimar Republic, you know, what about, what about hyperinflation? But, it, but basically, the way I explain it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that if you, as long as you are spending the money on things that aren't in, in a, a heavy demand, then you're not contributing uh, significantly to that negative, that, that inflationary pressure. Well, we, we shouldn't even really use the term uh, um, printing money because it, it's important that people actually understand how the system works every day. Uh, every day, certainly prior to the pandemic, it's been a bit more complicated uh, in the last two years, but prior to the pandemic, the federal government was spending about $1.5 billion a day. Every single dollar the federal government ever spends spent is a new dollar. Right. It's spent using nothing more, uh, no, nothing more basically than a, than a computer keyboard. Uh, federal government spending makes a, makes a deposit in our banking system and in our bank's reserve accounts at the RBA. They are electronic items. Every single dollar is a new dollar. 
Federal taxes then delete some of those dollars which have been spent into the system. They don't fund federal spending. That's not how federal taxation works. But of course, if the government only spent and never taxed any dollars, then the number of dollars in the system would accumulate. Dollars would rapidly lose all their value. We would get hyperinflation. So federal taxes are there to uh, limit the ability of the private sector to spend, to create room within the productive capacity of the economy for the government to engage in non-inflationary spending. And then you're absolutely right, of course, it's the quality of that spending which is important. Uh, it's important that our government is spending in the public purpose, and it's important that um, uh, the government is spending in a way which increases our capacity to produce the things that we're going to need to consume in the future, while at the same time um, changing the way in which we produce goods and services, changing the way in which we generate, generate uh, energy over time, not necessarily directly through the public sector, but encouraging the private sector to do this so that we live within our planetary boundaries, so that we live sustainably um, in the future. But yeah. they're not going to run out of dollars. No. The issue, inflation issue is a difficult one for people at the moment because I'm afraid the bad news is the inflation rate is quite possibly going to rise even further yeah. later on this year. But that's because of things which are, uh, to be fair to Scott Morrison or Anthony Albanese, not directly in the government's control. No. Most of them. The war in the Ukraine, the impact that's having on on uh, the market for fossil fuels around the world uh, and on the supply of food. Not that we um, eat much food that's grown in, in Ukraine or Russia here, but it impacts world food uh, um, prices. And also the fact that uh, um, uh, some of the most productive areas in, in China and the biggest port, Shanghai, are basically shut down mm. at the moment. And that's having a big impact on costs uh, as as well and that's driving the price level up and as energy gets more expensive that pushes prices up right away across the whole economy but it's not at the moment being driven by excess spending no. and the signal of that particularly in Australia is that there's really not much upward pressure on wages mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. now if, mm -hmm. if we were if we had a, a an inflationary spiral which was being driven by excessive spending then you'd see wages accelerating, they'd be accelerating faster than the price level at the moment, and it, it's the other way around, which is a, a sad thing because it means uh, a lot of people are, are struggling, and what we call them real wages are falling rather than rising right now. But it's certainly a sign that the inflation is not being driven by excessive spending in the economy, it's being driven by other factors. And the best way of bringing global inflation back under control, if only there was a way of doing this, <laughs> Would be to uh, would be to bring about peace in Europe, yeah. and and to get properly beyond this pandemic. So that yeah, that's right. It's the it's the war and the and and the plague that are that are causing the supply side issues, and and it's not a demand driven uh, inflationary spike. I, I was wanting to to bring you uh, to the, you know, the the point which you, you sort of alluded to earlier, which is uh, uh, the 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 political uh, aspects of this. How would you rate? The, uh, the, 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 the various different political parties, the, you know, the, the LMP, the, the ALP, the Greens, where do you think they sit on the spectrum of, of demonstrating an understanding of the modern monetary system in, in their policy prescriptions? I know for a fact that Adam Bannon understands it. Uh, I suspect that it's well understood uh, in, uh, on the Labour Party front bench. 
doing anything but good for the economy. There is an upper limit. The upper limit is set by how many skilled nurses do you have out there and how much technology you have for them to use where that's appropriate and how many aged care nurses do you have and uh, if you want to engage, as I believe we should be doing, in a a big uh, public housing investment program. The problem with that is do the materials that you need to build that those properties exist? Mm. Have you got the skilled workers out there? There are issues that have to be addressed there. I would not have chosen to put so much of the uh, COVID support money into the construction industry, into private construction, as our federal government did. I would have done other things, including making more investments in healthcare and aged care and keeping childcare free or at least much cheaper than it is at the moment because that would have been less inflationary. Indeed, um, of course, free childcare for a while put downward pressure on the price, price level in Australia, encouraging people to um, to redevelop their kitchens or have extensions to their <laughs> homes actually overstimulated the property market. That did lead to inflationary pressures, but that's because of the real resources. It's because not enough thought was put into what the money should be spent on. Yeah. We don't have a problem with general demand-side inflation in Australia. We do have an issue with global supply-side constra- constraints for the reasons we were talking about earlier. You could bring the inflation rate down, even under those circumstances, if you were to trigger a severe recession in the country. Mm. But that's not the same thing as saying that the, up- the upturn in inflation over the last uh, six months to a year has been a consequence of excessive spending, certainly but not by the federal government, it's been for the variety of reasons that we were just going through around the world, which is of course why it's a global phenomenon, it's not just limited to Australia. Yeah. Well, Stephen, look, I would uh, love to chat on about this for the next half hour, but unfortunately I have, um, I have other guests to speak to next, so um, I'd, I'd, I'd hope that we might be able to speak again sometime uh, to continue to explore these, uh, these big picture issues for the economy. That will be a great pleasure. And I don't know if anybody ever looks at the articles in the conversation. I've got one coming out tomorrow morning about the RBA's interest rate decision. Great. Well, I'll look out for that. And I'm going to share the one that we've been referring to today up to the Environmental As Anything Facebook page for everybody to be able to uh, to have a look at and share around if they want to. But uh, we really appreciate your time and uh, an illuminating uh, conversation about uh, uh, what is otherwise rather a dark topic for many people. Thanks very much, James. Pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Have a great day. See you, Stephen. Bye. That was Professor Stephen Hale from Torrens University and the Global Institute for Sustainable Prosperity and author of the book Economics for Sustainable Prosperity, published by Paul Grave Macmillan in 2018. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Environmental As Anything podcast. Uh, I'll be bringing them to you as regularly as I can. If you'd like to tune in to more of this kind of uh, material, uh, there's plenty of episodes available. You can subscribe to our podcast, and while you're there, you might as well rate it and help uh, spread the word by sharing it on social media if you can. 
We're on social media, of course, on Facebook particularly. You can find us anywhere you look for environmental as anything. And if you're really keen to see the show carry on, please do go and support us on Patreon. Again, you can find us by just searching environmental as anything Patreon. Thank you for your support. Be gentle with yourselves. Be kind to each other. And remember, we are all in this together. Uh-huh.